The Mountain West released the conference football schedule yesterday, and UNLV will end the season with Nevada. Final game of the year. Good, as um, they should. Every year should be the final game yes, of the year. That absolutely. is rivalry weekend. Um, for some reason, last year, they played the game on October 14th, yes, exactly. which is neither the end of the season nor Rivalry Nevada Day. Weekend. Occasionally, or they Nevada play it on Day. Nevada Day, right. celebrate the state, whatever. Um, but for some reason, last year, October 14th was the random date they chose. It's back to end the season. I don't understand why it ever changes. Just yeah, leave so it at the easy. end of the year. You're doing the schedule. <laughs> they have to play a game on the last weekend. Yeah. Just make it that game. I know that I have read... Um, Chris Murray, who covers uh, Nevada, Nevada sports for Nevada Sportsnet, he's written about this before where there have been coaches, uh, specifically Nevada coaches in the past, who don't want the game at the end of the year because it's Thanksgiving week and it's usually cold. The attendance is worse than if they play it earlier in the year. You mean up there? Yeah, when they have when Nevada well Nevada doesn't care it. when they, they have care. Exactly. games here in Vegas. Yeah, exactly. They just when they host it, they want obviously the biggest crowd possible, and they are worried sometimes that oh, kids it's aren't Thanksgiving, there. there's not as many people in town, and it's cold. Whereas if we played in October on Nevada Day or October 14th, there's more people in town, and well, it's not as cold out. The way they played last year could have been an August second. Right, wouldn't matter. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> wouldn't matter. But uh, and it probably won't matter again this year too. Right. I don't think Nevada is going to be. They're not expected to get significantly no. better, so probably won't be a big deal. But I don't care about your cold weather complaints. Don't live in a cold city, uh, and play the football game to end the regular season every year. That's what it should be. Yeah. Just th I mean, just think from Nevada's perspective, this upcoming year, legitimate chance they're like three and eight going into the game, and UNLV's got seven or eight wins or whatever they're at. Nevada season, useless, but they can completely change their entire season by beating UNLV in that game. They'll be, holy hell, what a great season we beat UNLV. Bring the cannon over to us. Right. Meanwhile, if they win that game so on October... Fake one. Meanwhile, if they win that game on October 14th, then they've got just two more months of sucking. Right. And eh, who cares? So it's always fun when it's at the end of the year. If UNLV wins this year, I would really love it if Barry Odom like mailed up a like a blow up cannon. <laughs> one of those uh, another fake, a fake one for cannon. Them? Yeah, to the coach that at Nevada be and be like, hey, you could blow this up and put it in your Actually, office. Actually, present it after the oh, game. Oh yeah. Like Do have you, one, a fake one that they can give to Nevada to say, here, you guys are going to be missing the real one for a while. Do you present it bl already blown up or do you make them blow it up? Already blown up. I'll just get a cardboard cutout. Just have something just terrible. Isn't that kind of what go. they had already? We, was, I still I don't know what they had. I the old cardboard. coach, Ken Wilson, it was a fake cannon according right. to the new coach. I don't really know if they said what it was. I but thought I read cardboard. They had a fake cannon up yes. there yes. under Ken Wilson. He's this is gone. what we're playing for. He's gone, and the fake cannon's gone, too, because it's one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard in my life. I don't care about your next question. The NFL could have technology to measure first downs. Likely won't be in place for the 2024 season. Most likely is a 2025 is the possible timeline here. But there is apparently technology the NFL is going to test out or try whatever they're going to do, eventually vote on it that would have the first down uh, line measured by some form of technology so we're no longer relying on the actual referees to spot the ball. It'll simply be, hey, here is where the ball is spotted. That is a first down or nope, it is now fourth and three inches. inches. 
fantastic. Yes. Where have we been? It's 2024. Thank God they're finally getting something close to this. Will this affect being able to challenge first downs? No idea. Do you think they could implement like, hey, computer says it's a first down, it's a first down, you can't challenge it? Probably. I mean, eventually that's probably where we'll be. I mean, tennis had the Hawkeye system, and for a long time they only used it to review when players wanted when to players challenge. Wanted, they only had so many challenges. But eventually they were like, why are we doing this? We can get it right in real time. Right. Just let Hawkeye call it. Right. That's how volleyball is. Yeah. So we might have – it's just like baseball when we get the automated strike zone, and they're like, ah, oh, let's do the challenge system first. We might have some stupid five-year period where they're like, yeah, let's still leave the human element in. But eventually we're just going to be that's a first down. There's no challenge on spotting of the ball because we know exactly where it is. I, uh, what was the question again? I'm sorry, I just got <laughs> The Jets have granted Zach Wilson permission to seek a trade. From who? The Raiders. Zach Wilson's their the new Raiders. starting He's quarterback. The Band-Aid. This is what happens if they don't sign a free agent quarterback and then they don't, don't get anybody in the draft. Anybody. They're trading for Zach Wilson. I, he was 34th out of 38 uh, graded quarterbacks by PFF last year. He's never been higher than 34th in his three year career. He's entering the final year of his rookie contract, $11 million cap hit. You could pick up the fifth-year option, but he'd have a $22 million cap oh, hit in man. 2025. I mean, I, I know there's teams, Raiders, Broncos, Falcons, they that don't have a quarterback. But there's n no chance. there's no way anybody in the league says no. Zach Wilson's our starter, right? No. no. And you're going to hit him with the, you're going to hit an 11 million cap hit for that? Yeah. Like there's just no way somebody signs up. I could see somebody trading for him and being like, "Yeah, we'll take a shot, you know, the Jets are a disaster. He was a top uh 5 pick or whatever. Let's maybe we can he'll be better here." But I don't know. I can't imagine somebody would say we're we're locking in our starter. Would you get back for him? One of those 6th and 7th round swaps where yeah. the Raiders send a 6th and they get a 7th back. Right. Something like that. That I, that has to be yeah. it, right? There's no way you're, you're not getting, getting a top a, draft, right? Pick. No way you're getting a, a fourth round pick no. for Zach Wilson. The Jets might pay people. To they pay they might. Yeah. They might send five million dollars with them and say, "Hey, yeah, we'll pay down some of the salary." That I, genuinely, if they want to just truly get rid of him because this is a bad, they might have to. They might have to pay half of his salary or something for 2024 just to get him off the team. Okay. Silence. <laughs> uh, the Stratosphere lost $800,000 because of F1. Or at least that's what they're claiming. The Strat says that they lost, they made $8,000 less in profit in November of 2023 compared to November of 2022. Obviously, that's the whole month. F1 was not... Well, I guess traffic might have been here for the whole month, but that was F1 wasn't here for the entire month. But we have a casino on the Strip saying... We lost money. This isn't just the local businesses that are like, wait a minute, our pizza restaurant didn't have as much uh, customers. This is the casino on the strip being like, eh, we almost had a million less dollars in revenue or profit this uh, month. Is this the reverse of we made this much money economically for the town? Yes, it is. It's like the exact reverse of it? Yes. So do we believe it? Because we don't believe the other one. Okay. So this is what was interesting. And uh, Channel 8 posted a story on their website with quotes from, uh, I think it was the president of the Strat or the, maybe the CEO, who was talking to at an earnings call or whatever. His I, Here's why I think I believe it. His quotes were like, we took one for the team and we would do it again. To have the race here? Yeah, because he was like, ah, it was still great for Las Vegas. So, like, according to the quotes in this story, 
he sounded positive about losing eight hundred thousand dollars. So I, I think that makes me believe him because he's like, ah, it wasn't that bad. It was only a million dollars we almost lost out on. Why was the strat so badly affected? I thought the race stopped at like Flamingo or something. I'm guessing because nobody went to the strat. Does anybody go to the strat anyways? More than when F1 is here. The whole the whole thing with F1, to generally sum this up, really rich people came to Vegas, poor people did not. Okay, and so yeah. You have the casinos that are high end or at least have high end rooms and amenities. Right, the center of the street. Did great. Right. Right. Everybody else did bad. We the, my favorite story is the video Arash Markazi posted when he went to an Outback yeah. Steakhouse and he was the only He's one the only there, there and they said they were closing early. Right. So people that normally go to Outback, that level of income did not come to Vegas that week. People that are really rich did and so Outback Steakhouse, the Strat is the Outback Steakhouse, the strip. Right. Right. Nobody went to the Strat. Because if you came to Vegas that weekend, you had to pay a bunch of money because it was F1 weekend. So the Strat, uh, who the hell's going there? Makes Nobody. Sense. So that, I think, is the general theme of F1. We just replaced all the middle-income or low-income people that might come here with super-rich people. Hell, we might have even replaced like moderately-rich people with super-rich people. So high-end places did well, middle-class, low-end places, nothing. Those are great. That's, that's another great question. The Royals have different jerseys than the rest of Major League oh, Baseball. How did this team get different jerseys? So, all right. One of the favorite stories of uh, the spring is that Major League Baseball has two jerseys, and they're about as cheap as they could possibly be. They're see-through pants, but and there's also not stitched on numbers or letters or logos. One of the other differences is that the name and number on the back of the jerseys have been shrunk. Mm-hmm. They're much smaller than they were. The Royals, however have the normal bigger letters and numbers on the back of their jerseys. Not the, stitched. The same, and they're still not stitched, but they're bigger, same as last season. And according to the story at UniWatch, the Royals lobbied Nike and Major League Baseball to let them keep the bigger letters. So they apparently saw the jerseys and were like, we don't want, that, that looks stupid, and called up Nike and Major League Baseball and said, hey, we would really like to have the same size letters and numbers on the back of our jerseys can we keep them? And Nike and Major League Baseball said yes. Okay, but can't the Dodgers and Astros do that too? Too late. They already got their jerseys. The Royals apparently had some foresight to say, wait a minute, these look They're stupid. They were out in front of the game? They were. The Royals got the most forward-thinking jersey people in the business. Too late for everybody else in baseball. Um, but yeah, at least one team saw these and said, those look stupid. Please let us keep the bigger numbers and letters. And so the Royals will have more normal-looking jerseys. Uh, than the rest of Major League Baseball this year. <laughs> yeah, that's a pretty detailed question. Uh, uh, by the way, I wanted to get to this story because it's a couple days old, but uh, the Philadelphia Inquirer reported that the Philadelphia Phillies offered Yoshinobu Yamamoto more money than the Dodgers. Ah, uh, well. Uh, and here was the report. That's a shame. After meeting for three hours on December 14th with Yamamoto and his agents and making a presentation that featured a video appearance by Bryce Harper, the Phillies offered more money than any team, according to multiple industry sources. That includes the Dodgers, who won the Yamamoto auction with a 12-year, $325 million bid that stands as the largest guarantee for any pitcher ever. He turned down more money to be a Dodger. Smart kid, this guy. This Yamamoto. I like him. Is he smart? Had a nice outing the other day. Spring training. Had a nice outing. Struck out, I think, three of the six, four of the six. My legitimate question on it, like, did the Phillies offer him 12 years, 326? 
Or did they offer him like 12 years, 400? Because if he just turned down like 330, if he turned down 5 million over 12 years to go to the Dodgers, that's not really that a big, big deal. deal. If he turned down 75 million over 12 years to go to the Dodgers, that's a pretty hell of a, a haul by the Dodgers to get less money. Yeah. Or to spend less money. Which, by the way, what's his agent doing? I don't know because he gets a percentage. Right. So if, if I'm the, getting a percentage, I want the most money. If the Phillies, if the Phillies offered him twelve and three fifty, and the Dodgers were offering twelve and three twenty five, wouldn't you tell the Dodgers, "Hey, make it three fifty, and you got your right. guy"? Did the Dodgers say, "No, it's only three twenty five? I can't imagine they drove that hard of a bargain over twenty five no, million not after over twelve they gave years. Him time. Right. They were just like, "Yeah, whatever." Right. So I think this Yamamoto's agent guy might be the big loser in this entire thing. <laughs> Phillies look like the losers, but I think this agent, what's he, what you doing? You got the big offer. Make sure the Dodgers match it at least. Well, the thing they're not saying is the video with the Dodgers from Otani, not Harper. Oh, so is that the key? That was the key. Did Bryce the Harper try to home. speak Japanese or something and butcher it? <laughs> and, <laughs> butchered it. Yeah, I was like, I'm not playing with this guy. <laughs> Unbelievable. All right, coming up next, we're going to get into some of the Las Vegas A's and maybe somebody's seen some renderings. Ed, are you ready for verbal renderings? Well, at least it's some kind of rendering. At least it's something that they can maybe tell us how this ballpark's going to look. All right. So let me give the context here of these verbal renderings. Uh, There is an A's blog called Ricky Blog, Ricky Henderson, and they noticed on an MLB.com page for the A's titled Las Vegas Ballpark. They have a web page about the Las Vegas Ballpark, even though there's no details about it, um, that they had updated it. And on that MLB.com page, there were some details about the A's ballpark. Uh, The stadium would exude an outdoor field with a roof with five overlapping layers that is inspired by traditional baseball pennants, but wouldn't actually retract except for an opening to the north to allow for natural light. So imagine whatever the hell any of that means, but they're going to have an outdoor feel while still having an indoor facility yeah um the ballpark would have the world's largest cable net glass window is that like lanai doors i think so except they don't open <laughs> well does this window open i know I, I don't think the window opens <laughs> i think they were just if we're calling it a window well, I we think don't even just, know if the lanai doors open yeah, no they do just not <laughs> for actual events um so whatever the largest cable net glass window is also an 18,000-square-foot jumbotron, which would be the biggest in Major League Baseball. So all of these details were on MLB.com's website under the A's Las Vegas ballpark page. Can you visualize it? You know exactly what it looks like now? Five pennants making the ceiling an outdoor feel, whatever that means, and an opening to the north to allow in natural light. Trying to see it through my vision, trying to to imagine it. Is this like... um, where the Falcons play, how they have the camera lens opening at the very top of the stadium. Oh, that's a good point. Um, but it it's broken all the time yeah. or was broken. I don't even know if they open it anymore, but it broke because it was too complex to keep opening and closing, apparently. They're going to do something like that. I don't know. Um, but there's some other fun parts of this. One, all of that de- information has been deleted. <laughs> yeah, because they said, hey. We can't have any information about the renderings out there, whether it be verbal or real. They posted this to MLB.com, and then Ricky Blog found it, published a story about it, and the Major League Baseball or the A's went back and deleted all that. Um, 
So you can't find that information again. Uh, thankfully, Ricky Blog posted a screenshot of it to see it. And then there was another fun detail. It's also been deleted. The A's hired Bjark Ingels Group as the designer and HTNB as the architect on December 4th. December... Of this facility? Yeah. Last, okay. They hired them December 4th of 2023. Okay. December 4th is the same day the A's had scheduled to release their renderings, but then postponed it after two state troopers died. Right, right. How did they have renderings before hiring the designer and the architect? Dave Cavill with a crayon? <laughs> what renderings were they going to show people on December yeah. 4th if that's the same day they hired the designer and Maybe the architect? Maybe they realize, and I, then when was the first rendering we saw? From the summer, it was around the state legislature. Who meetings. wrote? Who drew that up? That's a good question because then they told everybody to throw them in the trash because they weren't right. real. Um, but they literally released those just to say, "Hey, give Here, us three hundred eighty million like dollars." It. This, this looks is, like a ballpark. This is what a ballpark could be. I'm still convinced they never actually had renderings, and it just happened that there was a tragedy in the town the day they were going to release them, and they never had them. I mean, they didn't hire the designer and architect until the day they were going to release these renderings. So there's no way they had renderings. No. Like, well, I mean, it's the A's. Did, like, did, I don't know. Did they hire a designer and architect and they like showed the A's, hey, here's a rendering. And they said, oh, we like those. We're going right. to hire you today. Let's go to a press conference. And then, ah, sorry, we canceled it. That seems like that would not happen. So they might not it have actually a had backwards in right. doing things. Right. So somehow they hired the designer and the architect on the same day that they were going to release the renderings that they ended up postponing, and it's Feb March 1st, and we still don't have any renderings. Here's the other question on this. Big league weekend. The A's come. They play in Vegas during spring training, uh, play some other major league teams at Summerlin, at the Las Vegas ballpark at Summerlin. Um, that is March 8th and 9th. Is that when we see renderings? Oh, that's a good question. Like, it has to be, right? That's a good question. And that they use that as a kicking off point right. of showing us what it's going to look like when their team's in town. Right. That has to be it. Danny's face does not imply that he thinks they will have <laughs> renderings on March 8th or 9th. I think they're going to have renderings the moment they break ground after <laughs> after the trop is already demolished. They'll be like, hey, uh, yes, we finally put together something. <laughs> but, like, Mar it has to be. Big League Weekend. They're playing in the city they're planning to move to. Have to, right? I mean, you'd think that if they're going to do it, that would be an opportune time. Yes. Because the team is here. Yeah. And you get some, you know. They positive had, publicity. I was going to say, they haven't had much positive publicity. So if you release renderings, the team is here, they're playing games. That's that's a positive step right. forward. And it'll be, I mean, for the most part, when you release renderings of a new stadium, it's pretty much all positive. Yes, there's going to yes. be like, well, that kind of well, looks dumb. Well, yeah, someone's going to say, I don't like that. But whatever. When you have renderings, it's like, oh, usually it's like, oh, look how cool right. it's going to be yeah. and all that. So it, ha it has to be. It's such, that's it, got to be it. But here's my question on that. If they were going to release them on March 8th and 9th, when they're here, big league weekend, and given that it's been months of people saying, what's going on here? Where are these renderings? Why don't you have these renderings? Wouldn't they announce that? Wouldn't they tell people we're going to release the renderings on March eighth and 9th when we're in Vegas for Big League Weekend? Yeah, because that would immediately end any wise, conversation. Publicity wise, that would be the smartest thing, yeah. and you'd get. Well, I don't know. I mean, would you get more people out to the games that are already going to go to Big League Weekend? Yeah, to no, see the probably not. No, because you know, I'm not, I, I'll wait to see them 
in the paper, right. you know, across you know social media and stuff like that, we'll see the renderings yeah. eventually. So they're not going to do that, but they need as much publicity, positive publicity yeah. as possible. So this is an ease. This is a layup. And like right now, it's like where are the renderings? Where are the renderings? Where are the renderings? If they gave us a date and said we're releasing them on March eighth or 9th, then you don't say where are the renderings. You just wait until March eighth or 9th because that's when they're giving them to us. Everybody. If they give us renderings. What's the likelihood they tell us to throw them away <laughs> a month later? <laughs> I don't think they'll do that twice. I mean, it's the A's, so they could, but there's no, there's no reason to at this point unless they change the design of the ballpark. Unless like right. they have a current plan and then they are like, uh oh, we can't do that, right. or that's too expensive. And John Fisher didn't find any investors, so now we're going to have uh, no roof at all it's just going to be open air to save us some b- money what's he going to do if he doesn't get any investors i mean john fisher did say he and his family can fund this he also said they've done everything they could to make them stay in Oakland. right now here's the thing do i believe john fisher can fund it yeah probably yeah or at least could get a loan to fund it the real question is not can he it's will he does he want to? Because John Fisher could also support a $150 million payroll for the A's right. and make them a but competitive team to. on a regular basis. doesn't want to. But he doesn't. He wants to spend as little as possible and have Billy Bean put together a Moneyball roster that gives them three decent years every five to seven years. Mm-hmm. So John Fisher probably can fund the entire ballpark, but will John Fisher fund the ballpark is the legitimate question. And then this follow-up is will he get investors to buy into the A's because he's willing to sell pieces of the A's to people who want to help invest in the ballpark, which we've got. He said he wanted that, and we've got no announcements or reporting on potential investors lining up to help him or to buy a piece of the A's. So March 8th and 9th, Danny. We'll see. That's Circle next it on the week. calendar. Circle it on the calendar, Danny. It's coming. All right. Coming up next, we are going to stick with the A's as Melissa Locker joins the show. Here's the 1-1. High fly ball off the bat of Bladé to left. Chasing Matos back. He's at the track. He's watching out of room. And goodbye on the berm. Opposite field home run for J.J. Bladé. You're on the elevator up to the press box with Graney and Bischoff. Danny, you pulling J.J. Bladé's spring training highlights? I absolutely <laughs> am. Joining us now from The Athletic is Melissa Lockard. Good morning, Melissa. Thanks Hi. for joining us. Hi, Melissa. Thanks for having me. Uh, I want to ask you, first off, do you think at any point uh, this year the Oakland A's will turn replies back on on their tweets? <laughs> I don't know. I think that is like the weirdest thing that any team, any professional organization has ever really done. Like, how hard is it to ignore the comments? We all have to do it <laughs> media. I'm not sure why they can't just ignore them. But they're making it worse because the block quotes are a lot more uh, eviscerating, I feel like, than the comments were. Yeah, I just it just went 51 minutes ago. They tweeted out their lineup for the spring training game today, and the replies are off because uh, nobody can comment on their lineup apparently either. Uh, kind of genuine question on that. They're not going to be in Vegas until 2028 at the earliest. Can they just have replies turned off for four straight years? I don't know. I mean, this is the oddest entry plan I've ever seen for a move like you've got to at some point want to try to build up some positive momentum if you're going to do anything you know and um, not interacting with fans regardless of who the fans are is not going to build any kind of positive momentum I mean you know if the team all of a sudden went on a winning streak 
you know, you would like to see the positive interaction and you, you block that off this year or next year or the year after that, it'll never happen before you move into your new, new city. So it, it is a really strange, very short-sighted policy. How much, we were just talking about before you came on, there's no renderings yet of this ballpark. Um, we have no idea when they're going to be out. They've said they were going to come out, and then they didn't. How much, and like the, the messages turned off, like how much is this John Fisher? Like does it get to his level, or do you think this is people under him making these kind of decisions? You know, it's really hard to say because he is the least accessible sports owner, you know, really in probably American professional sports, or at least in, in, the, in the major three sports. Um, you know, he rarely gives interviews. Um, his impact has, you know, kind of hard, been hard to assess because he's never really out front. That being said, you know, Dave Cavill is there to do his bidding. So uh, I would have a tough time believing any of this doesn't get John Fisher's sign off. I mean, this is his team. This is his money. Um, you know, if this wasn't what he wanted, I don't think it would be happening. So, um, but to say that maybe this is done as a plan, I think would probably be giving him a little more credit than he deserves. Thus far, you know, in the 20 years we've experienced this, it's pretty clear he doesn't have a plan from year to year. <laughs> so, um, you know, I think what you tend to see doesn't make a lot of sense cohesively because it's just sort of being made up as it goes along. Where do you think they play for the next, uh, or not this coming up season, but the following couple of seasons before they could move to Vegas in 2028? Does staying at the Coliseum make sense, or do you think they end up in Salt Lake or Sacramento for a few years? Yeah, I mean, I, I think given the fact they're back at the table again with uh, you know the, the county officials in the city of Oakland, I, I would be a little bit surprised if they weren't going to extend that lease just because at this point financially – you know, the team can't really survive these four years without the media money that they're going to be walking away from. Um, so my guess is that they make it work. How they make that work, though, and the concessions they have to give up in order to get that sign, you know, sort of remains to be seen. Um, you know, I think they kind of exhausted any, like, positive negotiating leverage they would have had by the way they've acted over the last year with the city and the county. So, you know, they're not in really a position to kind of demand a whole lot here, and the city and the county can demand quite a bit. Um, so it'll be interesting to see where those negotiations go. But, you know, the AAA parks and in, in markets that are not going to carry uh, the same sort of media package that they have right now um, really doesn't make a lot of financial sense. And from a player perspective, would be pretty disastrous, I think. I, you know, major league players don't want to play in a AAA ballpark. So um, I, I would guess they get it done, but it, it remains to be seen what terms kind of come out of it. They have said um, more than once when they get here and there's a new ballpark and new revenue streams that they will spend money on players, that their their uh, payroll will uh, increase exponentially. Do you believe that? No, I don't. <laughs> I, I mean, there there is no track record that would indicate that that you know, would happen. The largest contract that's ever been signed in Oakland A's history still belongs to the previous ownership and the Shot Hoffman ownership with Eric Chavez and um, they were not, you know, very free spending themselves. So that tells you quite a bit. Um, you look at the San Jose Earthquakes, got their new stadium in San Jose. Uh, nothing has been put back into that team that's particularly notable. I, I see that they're maybe going to bring in Carlos Vega, but that would be like the first big signing that they've made. And they've had that ballpark, you know, that new stadium for quite some time. So, you know, at some point, your reputation has to be what you've done and what they've done doesn't show somebody who's going to just turn on the lights and suddenly be different. Um, you know, that said, if they sold the team once they moved there, you know, all bets are off. But I don't see John Fisher spending money. I 
am excited about the A's coming here simply because I like baseball and the idea of even if it's like Tigers A's on a Wednesday at one, I would love to go watch the Tigers and A's on a Wednesday at one. It sounds great. But I, I do worry about the general excitement level here in Vegas because I, I don't think it really exists for the A's coming here. And I think that would change if this team actually won games. Spending money might help there. But we have seen the A's over the last 20-plus years kind of go through cycles where they have three or four good years, then they miss the playoffs for three, four straight years, and then they win for three straight years again. Never really winning a World Series or being super uh, at the top of two or three teams, but they have been good in cycles. Can that happen again? Can they kind of plan this out to where, hey, 2028 – we're a 90-win team that maybe wins a wild card or competes for the division title, and we do that for the first three years in Vegas and actually have people here excited about a winning baseball team? Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the baseball side, it, it's a real credit to the to the people that have been there, and they've been there really for 30 years. It's, it's a group that hasn't changed a whole lot over the last 30 years. Um, you know, you see those cycles because of the talent of the baseball people that they have in place there. Um, they are good at, you know, finding – young players to bring up, although their farm system right now is not in particularly great shape, but they do have some good young players that should be in the big leagues this year. Um, you know, they're good at finding veterans that maybe were underappreciated in other organizations and bringing them in. And so they can kind of sustain that until those guys get expensive. And then you see what you saw in 2021 when, when those players get traded away or, or are allowed to leave in free agencies. So it, it's, it is a cycle. It's a cycle that's frustrated a lot of A's fans because they've had a lot of players they really loved, and they only get to love them for three or four years. But certainly, you know, that if everything worked out for them in three or four years, they could end up in that cycle. I, I do have to say, though, it's a little hard to plan those. You know, like, things can come together, but you can't necessarily guarantee they're going to come together that way because young players don't always develop the way you think they are. Veterans don't always come available. They may not be able to sign the players they want to sign because of the way the situation is at the stadium. So I, I think... You know, it remains to be seen. You know, that said, so far the front office has stayed relatively stable, um, and they have a, they do have a track record, unlike John Fisher, of, of creating successful baseball teams. So, you know, we'll have to see. I wanted to ask you, uh, unrelated to the A's, I have not actually gotten to read this story you guys have at The Athletic. I've only seen some tweets about uh, Brandon Crawford, longtime oh. Giant shortstop, is no longer with the Giants. And the, the quote I saw was, he said, I was not wanted back. What, what happened with Brandon Crawford and the Giants? Yeah, so, you know, basically he was a free agent. Um, obviously, the last couple of years have not been up to the standard that, that Brandon Crawford has had, you know, as a Giants player for some time. Um, you know, in the story, he talked to Andrew Baggerly about how, you know, he had made it clear to the Giants front office he would be happy to come back as a backup player. They've got um, their top prospect, Marco Luciano, ready to take over at shortstop, that he would be willing to play other positions. And they eventually, you know, basically said to him, uh, it's not going to be a fit. You know, you could come in on a minor league deal and compete for the last spot on the roster, but, uh, you know, essentially that, that wasn't really going to um, happen. And they felt like, you know, it, was, it wouldn't be helpful for Luciano to have someone of Crawford's stature kind of behind him. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of <laughs> feelings that obviously come when somebody's played that many years. And plus Crawford grew up as a Giants fan in an organization. You know, you, you tend to sort of, the ending hurts, I guess, quite a bit. Um, but I, and I don't know if it was handled as well as it could have been handled. You know, he he signed a two-year extension after the 2021 season, and then a year later, the Giants signed Carlos Correa before they, you know, X that deal because of the physical. Um, and essentially, we're going to move him off of shortstop without telling him. So there were some lingering, I think, resentments even before 
he left the team. But it's an unfortunate ending. I think in three years when he's fully retired, it'll probably be fine, you know. But for the moment, it's a little awkward. Well, she is Melissa Lockhart from The Athletic. Melissa, thank you so much for joining thanks, us. Thanks, Melissa. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. So there's Melissa Lockhart from The Athletic. The story on Brandon Crawford. So Crawford was the giant shortstop for like 13 yeah, years. Yeah, forever. So it's been over a decade. Forever. He hasn't been very good recently, but uh, apparently the president of baseball operations, uh, Crawford, referring to him, said, I was not wanted back by the one person whose opinion matters. And as you heard Melissa say, they apparently offered him a minor league contract to compete Try for to the make final the final spot on the roster. Um, he Again, he wasn't very good the last two years, but that's tough. I, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about guy who's been like one of the faces of your franchise for over a decade being like, that's yeah, how he went out. Here's a minor league contract. Right. Because uh, you, you know, almost wish they just moved on from him, especially when if Crawford's what Crawford said, apparently in this is that he was willing to be like a bench player, like right. he was willing to sign and be one of the four guys on the bench and let the top prospect play shortstop. And I don't know. That's tough. Yeah, it's tough. Now he's a Cardinal and the Cardinals gave him a legitimate major league contract not a minor league deal there so that's fun all right want to let you guys know the word to text us today is chip c-h-i-p we're trying to give away two thousand and twenty four dollars every day here at lotus and all you got to do to get uh entered to win is text us text the word chip c-h-i-p to 702-364-1100 text chip to 702-364-1100 you are entered to win two thousand and twenty four dollars new code word coming up on monday but today's word is chip 702-364-1100 coming up next we'll get into some unlv basketball ahead of their game against san jose state oh. and he made it and caleb looks at the officials and say i was flying out of bounds not on purpose live from the finley toyota espn las vegas studios this is the press box with granny and bischoff on espn las vegas you know, we always getting on the wrong end of calls and non-calls. They host San Jose State on Saturday. Uh, UNLV beat San Jose State earlier this year, 77-65. to The interesting part of that game is that UNLV was down by 7 at halftime. Uh, they won the second half by 19 points. That was very much a bad first half, excellent second half from UNLV to come back and win. Ken Palm projects UNLV to win by 13. Uh, San Jose State is not good. They're 249 in Ken Palm. They're 2-14 and 14 in the Mountain West. Their only wins, both of them, are over Air Force. Uh, they have not been very good. I know they gave San Diego State probably a closer game than San Diego State was expecting in their last matchup, but they're still not very good. And on San Jose State, can Miles, or excuse me, can Tim Miles turn them into like a respectable program? I think it's going to be tough. Um, he had the player of the year last year. So if you can get lucky on a kid like that, you can win some games. Um, but NIL, um, I think he'd have to get lucky with maybe some foreign recruits, maybe some JUCO guys. I don't – it's tough. It, that's a tough yeah. place to recruit to. I've been there a lot, and between the facilities and everything that surrounds that athletic program, I think it's a really, really hard job. So they were 10-8 and eight in the Mountain West last year. And Tim Miles deservedly got a lot of credit for having San Jose State as a competitive, competent Mountain West program. They finished top 100 in Ken Palm. It was the first time they finished in the top 200 of Ken Palm since 2012. They had gone 11 years without being a top 200 yeah. team 
in college basketball. And last year they were top 100. Tim Miles, a lot of credit, looked like that program might actually be performing. Uh, and this year they're right back to where they've pretty much always been. And that is not in the top 200, bottom feeder in the Mountain West. You know, occasionally there's Air Force or another program that's down there with them. But generally speaking, they're the worst program in the Mountain West year after year. Tim Miles has had some success as a college basketball coach. Uh, I don't know that he or really honestly anybody can actually make San Jose right. State into something that's good on a regular basis. Um, it's a tough it's place. Hard, yeah, hard it's a tough job. place. Even for somebody that, uh, I mean, universally, San Jose, or excuse me, Tim Miles is viewed as a pretty good coach. Mm-hmm. Like, I know he went to he Nebraska. Went from State to Nebraska. And didn't really, and Nebraska hasn't been a good program, but right. didn't really do a whole lot there. Uh, did he did he make one NCAA tournament at Nebraska? He might not have gone to any. Uh, and then that was sort of he didn't really take another step after that, but still viewed as pretty good coach. And I don't think he's got really a shot to no. turn San Jose State around. Now, you know he should win this game. I know we've said that before, and then lose to Air Force by thirty two. So who knows what happens with this team? But what I find interesting, Jeff Grammer tweeted this out: UNLV can still finish anywhere from the one seed to the seven seed in the Mountain West. we got three games left, and they can still finish anywhere from one to seven. And Utah State, Boise State, San Diego State, Nevada, UNLV, and New Mexico can all still finish as the one seed in Mountain West yes. flight. There's three games left, and we got six teams that could still win this conference. And, by the way, all of those teams could still finish as low as six, and for some of them as low as seven. Now, Utah State's got a pretty easy schedule. They should presumably be the one Right, like there, it's not likely that Utah State would fall all the way to six or seven, but we've got three games left, and there are six teams that can not only win the conference, but all six of those teams could finish sixth. And have to do a play-in game, right? And depending on how these last, it's insane, absolutely insane how these have been, how this conference has been. And so, Ken Palm projects teams wins loss and everything like that. Your current projections right now: Utah State and Boise State are both projected to finish thirteen and five. And finish tied for the Mountain West uh, regular season championship. San Diego State, Nevada, and UNLV are all projected to go 12 and 6. And that would leave you one game out of first place, but also potentially as low as 5, depending on how tiebreakers go for you. New Mexico is projected to go 11 and 7. They would be 6 in that scenario. And Colorado State's projected to be 10 and 8 and finish as the 7 seed. Wild. That's crazy. It's the closest I can ever remember this being. Yeah, it's it's amazing. Um, Utah State's going to win it, like you said. They've they've got the the easy schedule uh, the rest of the way, or the easiest one it seems like. Uh, Boise has to end at San Diego State, who hasn't lost at home all year. The fascinating game, I think, to both of us is San Diego State UNLV. That's not What's fascinating at all. San Diego State winning easily. I believe easily. I don't oh, think UNLV can beat and five. UNLV is a worse version of San Diego State. I don't think they can beat them. Like that, See, UNLV built a team that's just a worst version of San Diego State. I don't think they can beat. They can Danny, beat the I'm other teams. Danny, I'm still, uh, I'm still on that thirteen to five run. Sure, <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's possible. Like no, yes, it's still possible. Yes, to, to me, the fascinating one is UNLV Nevada. Yeah, that's yeah, that's a good one too. Because I mean, it depends. Well, what if what if UNLV does beat San Diego State though? What if they do? Just well, they're not. Give me that. But, but what if they do? Give us that. Well, then That's, they might finish. They might. They, they, finish, then they, they finish, finish three. Second. Then they finish three, and you're up at nine o'clock, <laughs> waiting for their game to start in the semifinal. If they beat San Diego State, you're going to be mad about it because you're going to be at it's eleven thirty, 
Like, well, deadline was two hours ago, <laughs> so I guess I'm not writing this story. <laughs> so, yeah. But if they lose to San Diego State, there's a real chance that UNLV, this, would, this is what would be fun to me. There's a real chance that they would play Nevada in the last game of the regular season and then play Nevada in the 4-5 matchup in the Mountain West tournament. So there's a legitimate chance they play Nevada two times in a row. In, you know, what's that going to be? A three, week or so. And three yeah, times like, in uh, week. two weeks or three weeks, whatever right. it would be. So that could happen for sure if UNLV and Nevada are the 4-5, which is possible, is uh, maybe potential at, at this moment of happening. Utah State, by the way, one other quick note on them because Boise State's projected to finish with the same record at 13-5. and Utah State's 2-0 and against Boise State, so they have They're the head-to-head the tiebreaker. So. They're going to get the one. Right. They they have to lose to some crappy team to right. not get the one, yes. basically, at this point. So they're likely getting the one. And then Boise State's uh, Boise State's schedule the rest of the way is New Mexico, Nevada, San Diego State. Where are the games? Home, home, and away. Oh, they're home, home? Home, home against New Mexico uh. and Nevada. So they're projected to win those two at home and then lose the one at San Diego State. Um, if it went exactly like that, they would finish 13-5. and five. And, t- and tie. Yeah, so... But that's a tough. They could very easily go zero and three. Like it would not be shocking if Boise State lost all three of those games to New Mexico, Nevada, and San Diego State. So we'll see what these standings end up being. But it's going to be. Is this the most fun the Mountain West has has been? I mean, it's been in a while, but like it's been. I know back in yeah. what two thousand eight or nine when they had like seven teams in the conference, they sent half of them to the NCAA tournament. Like when BYU and TCU were in the conference. Right. I know they've had some years where they were really good, but this has to be one of the most fun. Yes. I mean, there's. I mean, with you and me in Nevada, probably will be the last game. Yeah. Like, there's six teams that are going to make the NCAA tournament, most likely. And then there's a seventh team in UNLV that we've seen is clearly, most nights, as good as them. Occasionally they're not. Right. But most nights is as good as them. And so we're going to get a Mountain West tournament where. There's seven teams that wouldn't be crazy to think could win it. Oh, could win the tournament. Colorado sure. State's going to get the seventh seed, and if they win the Mountain West tournament, I'll be like, oh, yeah. all right, not that surprised. So it's a really fun conference. Um, I will see how actually good the conference is, but I think it's a really, really fun conference. We, we get to see how many actually win a game in the NCAA tournament. We get a lot of fun games each night.